Hello, my name is Gabriel White, and welcome to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Uh, usually we wait a couple of weeks or a week between loading up set different episodes. Uh, however, uh, this week starts Utah's uh, seven-week legislative session, and we were able to interview several uh, prominent politicians and uh, legal practitioners who have work uh, that involves the legislature. We saw our last interview was of uh, one of the bar's lobbyists. Um, and we wanted to make sure and get these out in time so that our listeners could get the information that they might need to be able to um, meaningfully participate in the legislative session should they choose to do so and figure out how they can get more information about what's going on. Today's interview um, is of John Bogart, who is the chair of the Bar's Governmental Relations Committee. Um, he holds regular meetings that are open to the public where they discuss bills that have bearing on the law and on what lawyers do and on the Bar Association. And uh, he gives some very good advice as to how lawyers can get involved and specifically how they can benefit from the work of the Governmental Affairs Committee. Now, before I get started, I also want to remind you these last few interviews I've done by myself, but of course, this podcast is not a one-man effort. I am very grateful for the assistance of two very fine lawyers uh, from the law firm of Snow Christensen and Martineau, Danny Sepernich and Scott Powers, both of whom are experts in their fields. Um, you know, the public, I think, when they see lawyers and they see people going into litigation, I think they assume that lawyers prefer to have uh, a, a lawyer on the other side who's not very good. And I think that's actually, most lawyers would say that the opposite is true, that you would much rather be opposed to lawyers who are better than you are because they know what they're doing and things tend to move a lot faster and you get to the right result a lot quicker. And definitely when I, as a plaintiff's attorney, um, sue someone and I get a phone call from Snow Christensen and Martineau and hear that they're representing uh, the defendants, I know that I'm going to be dealing with quality, uh, quality lawyers. So um, a big shout out to them and uh, Danny and Scott in particular who haven't been able to be involved. They've been tied up doing uh, crazy, craziest of, of, of things, practicing law. Um, also wanted to remind you that this podcast is sponsored by the law offices of Gabriel K. White, LLC, which is my law firm. Um, and I would encourage you to go check out uh, the webpage, both of this, of this podcast and my webpage, which are hosted on the same uh, general site, which is www saltlaketrialattorney.com um, got some great information there as a legal blog and um, we have all the episodes of this show available uh, for easy download there so without further ado um, I will we will jump in to the interview with John Bogart hope you enjoy it and we are talking a little bit about the bar's involvement in the legislative process and right. how um, you know, the bar, obviously the bar is, is an arm of the Supreme Court. So ultimately some of this stuff is, 
you know, comes down to the interaction between the Supreme Court and the legislature. My understanding is that's not really part of your role. Um, I, tell me a little bit about yourself so that our listeners can get an idea of who you are. Which I, I saw on your website that uh, you do a lot of IP. Uh, that's a little misleading, no. So let me give you my background first. Sure. I came to Salt Lake in 1998. Uh, I moved here and joined the firm. It was then Duke Crockett, and shortly thereafter became Bendinger Crockett. Um, in 2004, that firm was merged with, bought by Howery uh, LLP, which was a D.C.-based international IP and litigation firm. I left Howery in June of 2010, and then for people who like memories of disasters, Howery shut down early in 2011. Was that just the, and I remember vaguely some of that, because I remember like uh, my good friend Aida and Marley oh, was yes. there. Um, was that like, did the whole firm shut down or was it just the Salt Lake office? It was the whole firm the for whole various firm. reasons that had nothing to do with, our little teeny office had, we were just on the It was in that period of time where there were two or three really big law firms that just kind of disintegrated. Yeah, and... And I wasn't on finance there, so I don't. I haven't got any inside information about that. And I left anyway before yeah, that. No. Um, so my background is entirely in litigation, um, and my practice has mostly been antitrust and securities and professional liability in the context of securities primarily. Uh, in fact, antitrust has been almost full time work for me most of the time. I've been in Utah. Uh, I've set up my own little firm in 2010. And um, I'm a, at the end of this year, expect to have it shut down and uh, exit the practice for a real life. Oh, so, I, okay. So, well, what's know, the next chapter? Uh, the next chapter is, uh, uh, although it sounds like it's political, this is like leaving the, the country. This is like the dream. This is like the dream for for most lawyers. Everybody yeah. wants to, is going to want to hear where you're, what you're uh, up to. I'm leaving the country. Okay. Uh, and that was planned before the recent election. So. Yeah. Just I, I don't really intend that as a comment, though. I can use it as a joke that way. Yeah, no. And I, I think that many of us sympathize, uh, certainly, with the benefits of that, of the timing of yeah. that at this point. Just for, like, a retirement? Or are you moving yes. into a bit? Oh, retirement. Oh, cool, I'm retiring. cool, cool. Uh, I didn't become a lawyer because I love law. I became a lawyer because I had to have a job so I could retire. Right. So. No, and that's fair enough. I think that, you know, there are a lot of people that see law i i enjoy the law but sometimes i see it as also as kind of you know the source of my funds to get to you know the lifestyle that i really want so that's awesome that you've reached that point um tell me a little bit about what you do in terms of the governmental relations committee and what that what that committee's role is sure uh so let me just start back up a little bit the bar is not really an arm of the supreme court it's under the supervision of Okay. And that's important because the courts have their own lobby presence and take their own positions with respect to the legislature. And they have a whole bunch of issues the bar doesn't get involved in and often we don't hear about. And frankly, it's none of our business. Things about court operations that the legislature may have views about. And they have, they have their own set of relations to work out. So even though we're under the supervision, we're not really part of the court. So I've been on governmental relations committee. Uh, for a good long time. I actually don't remember when I first got on it. I've been the, the one of the co-chairs for the last either th- three years, I think it is now, and this will be my last year as a co-chair. Um, the Governmental Relations Committee is uh, organized in a way that's different from any of the other sections or committees. Uh, 
we consist of uh, the meetings i should say are open to the public really so any lawyer who wants to come can come and throw in their two or five or ten cents worth of commentary they just don't get to vote unless they're a member so the voting membership is a representative from each section and each of the divisions uh, with some special uh, amendments in there right so for example criminal law has two representatives one from prosecution side and one from the defense side that makes sense yeah. uh, and there I think there are one or two other group sections that have multiple representatives uh, the guardian ad litem has a representative even though there's a family law representative because they have they have really do have different interests there so anyway it's set we get section representatives um, there are some pro uh, you know pro forma type members the Bar Commission president. We have a liaison with the bar, one of the commissioners who usually attends. But that's basically it. Um, and, you know, every year in the fall, and then again as we get closer to legislative session, we send out emails to the section leadership. I think they're all presidents, but anyhow, whoever runs each of the sections, uh, more or less begging them to send a representative. Some sections are very good about this and have long term representatives who've been there a long time or send representatives more or less every year. There are some sections who uh, regularly you know, can't be convinced to nominate anybody to serve, or whoever they pick never shows up. And I can understand, for example, why the appellate practice section rarely has a representative, although, to be fair, I got into the GRCS representative from appellate practice, because, you know, the legislature doesn't do much to do that's Lift direct appeals. Uh, yeah. appeals. But other sections, you know, like uh, environmental law and real property, have a lot at stake. But uh, in my own personal view, and this is not the view of the bar, they don't come nearly enough given how much is at stake for their membership. Anyway, that's how it works. And our session, we meet during the legislative session. So we had our first meeting Tuesday of last week, and we'll go through to the week before the end of the legislative session. And we stop before the legislature stops because... As you get towards the end, it's harder and harder to have any effect of an influence on them. Because things happen really fast, is my understanding. Is right. You're not going to be able to change a bill or anything in the last week and a half, so there's no point. Although they, all, they always seem to be able to slip in a couple of new things right right at the, at the very end there. but They always do. <coughs> yeah. 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 So that's how, that, that's how it works. And we meet Tuesdays. We meet for an hour, uh, noon to one, and... Uh, because I am the chairman, the senior chairman, I run those meetings most of the time, and my view is there's a huge amount of money involved in having all these people show up for an hour. We go and we, we end by one. Yeah. We start a little afternoon and we finish at one, and uh, we just push until we get it done. So. Yeah, I think that's a wise way to look at it. I mean, I remember at my old firm before I went out on my own, um, you know, sometimes we would have meetings and – you know, somebody would lean over and remark, you know, you realize it's costing us $10,000 an hour to have this meeting here with yeah. all these attorneys. And people would start to think, oh, wait, yeah, this time is incredibly valuable, so maybe we ought to move things along. Yeah. Um, so my understanding, though, is that the bar has certain limitations on on it, specific... The, the lobbyists that I spoke to for the bar, I call them specific kind of hooks or you yeah. know, where it fits. And is, right. is that something that you guys discussed at that meeting? Like, all right, is this something we can we can even take a, a, an issue on? So, why, you know, if we can't, if we can't, why even vote on it? Or do you guys still discuss those issues? Um, mostly the former, right? So it's 
uh, rules of conduct, I think it is, or the rules professional something or other. It's Supreme Court issued the rules. Rule 14, I think it's 105, but it might be 405. And it sets out in, in clear enough language, I think, the limitations of what the bar can get involved in in terms of public policy. And they're not surprisingly fairly limited and obvious categories. The most important one is legislation that will affect the administration of justice, or which uh, is of particular importance to the bar because it's an area of law which has special impact on the bar. And what we understand that in the committee to mean is uh, legislation, you know, because all legislation changes law. Sure. But it's legislation uh, about legal processes or in areas of substantive law where, you know, this is a major transformation of a large, important substantive area of law. And the bar, particularly the area of practice, may have views about that. And so that would be one of the areas. And there are a couple of others, and you can get the rules and list them. I just don't have them at the top of my head. While John and I look for some hooks for where the bar can get involved in public policy, let's just hear a brief word from our sponsor. The law offices of Gabriel K. White provides extraordinary service for a reasonable fee. Other personal injury law firms will take a third of your recovery, even if they don't do any work to settle your case. The law offices of Gabriel K. White doesn't operate that way. Our fees depend on our risk, which means that we charge you less if your case settles sooner. Any new injured clients will only have to pay a 25% fee if we settle or resolve the case without filing a complaint or other paperwork with a court, arbitration, or other panel. Compared with what other personal injury law firms charge, that's a savings of over $8,300 on a $100,000 case. Why pay more? If you have been injured in an accident, call the law offices of Gabriel K. White at 801-810-9491. But like access to justice issues. So right, the administration of justice. Yeah, and then like things like bills that may affect court funding or whether or not we're going to have enough judicial seats in a particular district or is that something that the Supreme Court Well, on those kinds handles of things on their own. Like filling court seats, right? Getting funding for. Currently, there is a proposal in the legislature to add a, a judge to the fifth district. Uh, we haven't voted on the app, and I'll talk about the process here in a second. Sure. But that'll get approved, and the bar will lobby, I'm sure, in favor of that because they need judges down in the fifth district. They're those kinds of things. But an access to justice would be changes that make it harder or easier, preserve or get rid of. You know, the public's access to the court system. So, like, would, it, would an example of that be the recent paralegal practitioner program? I don't know if that had a legislative component or not. I don't not, think it but did, but it may have just been by Supreme Court rule. Right now, it's by Supreme Court rule, I think. Um, and the Bar Commission came out in favor of that anyway. Right, yeah. So, let me give you a slightly controversial example from a, okay. from a prior sure. legislative session. There was a change in Utah law last year which made it effectively impossible to sue a, a gun manufacturer for negligence. Okay. Now, I don't know how this law is going to work, and I don't, I'm not offering my views about that. But that we discussed under the notion of access to justice. 
Because the Utah Constitution requires that uh, the legislature may not take away rights, close the courthouse doors to people. Yeah, the open courts close. Right. Yeah. Unless it provides an adequate alternative remedy. So classically, right, that's workers' comp. You get a work, workplace injury, you don't get to go to court, you have to go through the workers' comp system. Mm-hmm. So they took away a common right, right, uh, common law right to sue for negligence and so on in the workplace, but you get this alternative, right? And there are lots of employment situations where you go through similar things. And here there's an issue of whether or not the legislation is consistent with the Utah Constitution in that sense. And so that would come up for consideration by the GSE, and we discussed it. Uh, I don't remember whether we made a recommendation to the commission about that or whether the commission took a position. That's just sort of an example. The outcome is not too important. It seems like, and I don't know if this, I mean, this was something the lobbyist said comes up a lot, but it seems like even in those access to justice issues like you mentioned or access to open courts, that could come up in a lot of different contexts where different sections of the bar might take umbrage at different things. So, for example, um, you know, limitations on medical malpractice suits, uh, you know, every so often there'll be a new one that the legislature will pass, and then every every, every, every once in a blue moon the Supreme Court will say, you know, that violates the open courts clause or that that contravenes the wrongful death provision in the Utah Constitution and, and strikes that down. I mean, even though those deal with access to justice issues where you have conflicting views in different areas of the bar, do you, is that something that you still pursue and present maybe both sides, or is it something that the bar stays away from? The answer is both, actually. What happens is uh, we have sort of internal rules about when we can, let me tell you, when we can take a position on the committee. Sure. So the committee doesn't make decisions that bind anybody. We vote and come to conclusions and make recommendations to the Bar Commission. And then the Bar Commission makes the decisions about what can happen, whether it'll be in a, whether the bar endorses or opposes or takes no position. And there's also a process for sections to go up and lobby. And I'll come, we can come back to that in a second. But we're, uh, as it were, whole sections of the bar are going to take uh, conflicting positions. Our committee will vote no position. That will be our recommendation to the uh, Bar Commission. So we're, we don't get into the business of adjudicating between, you know, say, products liability lawyers and corporate counsel. Right. Or, you know, plaintiffs, the plaintiffs and the defense bar. We don't get between them. That's why there are, for example, two representatives, one criminal yeah. defense, one criminal prosecution. It's the same, actually. There's, a, there's somebody on the committee who represents plaintiffs' lawyers, and there's somebody else who does insurance defense work because we don't want to get in a position where we're trying to, you we know. got one side or the other that right. has an advantage. Sure. Right. Notwithstanding that, right, that there are lawyers who don't like something is not of importance, doesn't count. Because we're not here, the committee doesn't exist to sort of search out unanimity. There'd be no point to this committee then. So we expect there'll be people who take differing views, uh, including sometimes people within sections. But where the sections themselves are in opposition, we don't take a position. Okay. And we don't get in, we try and avoid policy arguments, right? That's why it's limited to these n- relatively narrow issues. Okay, so uh, uh, if you go up and you can look at all the legislation, right? People forget that all the legislation in Utah gets put up in public 
there's a, the web, legislative website, and you can see all the bills as they get introduced and read through them all. Um, and that's what we do in the committee. Um, or at least that's what I do and some of the other people do. And then we direct sections to look at particular bills that should be of interest to them. Mm-hmm. And we try and be over-inclusive at that stage, so every section is getting at least notice. Well, there are a lot of bills, I imagine. I a mean, few hundred. Yeah. And most of the time, our committee votes no position. That's the recommendation we make. Now, I, I have heard or I've been in, in rooms where, where it's been discussed that despite the fact that the committee has taken no position on it, that suddenly some representative from one of the sections will show up at a hearing and yeah. and kind of go rogue. I mean, how often does that kind of thing happen? Uh, I mean, obviously not something we want to encourage, no. but I am wondering if that is common, if that is rare, if that is, you know. Let me just answer that by first describing. There's a process by which you can do that. Oh, really? Okay. There, all right, so the bar takes positions sometimes, and we have official bar lobbyists who represent the bar and speak for the bar and do various things. Uh, including organizing and helping legislators meet with section leaders and so on to fine-tune legislation stuff. We try and help people that way, too. And that's a very important function of the committee. But a section, often a section will want, not often, there are times when particular sections want to lobby on behalf or against a bill, uh, either because the bar is not taking a position or whether or not the bar takes a position, these, this section wants to work on this particular thing. There is a specific process to go through to do that. Uh, and basically, you have to come and ask the, tell the committee that's what you want to do. The committee then goes to the bar commission and says, this section wants to lobby for this bill. Do they have your permission to do it? The, because of the time frames, the commission will uh, discuss that and come back to us with their decision. That decision is always conditional because a section can only lobby after it has completed an appropriate polling of its membership to make sure that whatever lobby position they want to take is actually the position of a large portion of their membership. And again, the rules set this out. Uh, I think it's 60%. Okay. So you, you can't. It's kind of a high threat. It's going to be a kind of a high threshold for yes. some of the committees that, or sections at least. It is a high threshold. And yeah. the idea is, I mean, I don't know because I wasn't there when it was written, but... But it makes sense. You yeah. don't want sections up there. Uh, you don't want, And otherwise, let me start that sentence again. Sure. As a lawyer, you can go up and you have your First Amendment right to lobby on your own behalf. But if you purport to speak on behalf of the bar or any portion of the bar... You may not do that without getting the approval and permission of the Bar Commission. Doing it without their permission, I don't know if it's ever been enforced, is a violation of the rules of professional conduct and can, you know, in the most extreme case, get you kicked out, though uh, that'd be pretty surprising. Yeah. So there's that process. And so sections do do that. Um, my impression is family law does that more often than other sections. I had heard, collect, I had heard collections law occasionally section as well in terms of the actual that, formal that may, process properly doing wrong. it or, or just kind of doing it properly there. family law 
Family law does if it. If collections is doing it, they am doing it through our committee in the Goodwill. And, that may, and I may, be, I yeah, may yeah. be wrong about that, but that's just the scuttlebutt that yeah. I heard. But it does happen that folks go up there and say, oh, I represent section blah, blah, and we're all against this. And the fact is that section blah, blah is not authorized to do that. Normally, the bar lobbyists hear about this, and then we go back and talk to the section of the particular lawyers and explain to them that you can't be doing this sort of thing. Right. And then almost always they say, oh, we didn't know. We stop. They stop. They and stop. and how how integrated are you guys with the bar's lobbyists? I mean, are they at all of these meetings? Yes. Do they provide presentations on bills and take things back and say, here are the people that you should talk to? Or how, how does that interaction They're work? integral to the whole thing. So the bar lobbyists, Foxley and Pignanelli, they attend all the meetings. They also work with the committee lead, the co-chairs, uh, off legislative session so we figure out how we're going to run the committee they take the lead in identifying bills that may be of importance or interest to the bar bar sections uh we strongly encourage each of the sections to be doing the same thing and contributing and i try and read all the bills so that there's at least somebody who's seen these besides the lobbyists and we put all those into our agendas and have the sections look at them they attend the meetings they help uh in a lot of different ways, I mean, besides this obvious one, we rely on their advice about whether, even if it's a bill that matters to the bar, whether there's value in supporting or opposing it, right? So there may be a bill up there that the bar thinks is a fabulous idea, and the lobbyists say, yeah, if you want to earn some points with this particular legislator, go, we'll go and lobby it. The bill's going to die, mm-hmm. right? That's their job is to know that kind of stuff, and these guys are good at it. So they help us organ, uh, make decisions about where to put our resources in terms of lobbying. They advise the committee. They also advise the bar commission. They have a separate voice there. They attend the meetings between GRC chairs and the bar commission. We meet weekly after, in the late afternoon. <coughs> Excuse me. And they put in their two cents worth about what's going on. Uh, we want them to do that. And then they do the actual lobbying. Right. Uh, they don't do it for sections, although when a section's permitted to go up, they, we encourage them to coordinate closely. To bring them with. So yeah, they to go s- with the lobbyists, yeah. talk to the lobbyists in advance, find out what the sensitive points are. You know, we want to present a kind of unified front if we can and at least coordinate it. And, you know, these guys are doing this full time for a long time. They know more about it than you guys do. Yeah, no, So absolutely. listen to the lobbyists. So okay. they are an important part, and they're not just... We don't just send them out a letter and say, go do this, right? They're involved there, and they provide their input and expertise all the way through. And is there any interaction between the committee and the lobbyists, or does the committee have work that, that happens in the, t- in the period of the year that does not involve the legislative session? We are working on being more active during the non-session, and what that is involved is trying to get legislators to realize the extent to which the bar can be a, a valuable resource for them help them with drafting, help them with discussing and identifying problems in areas where they're contemplating legislation. You know, uh, the bar and legislature are getting better and better at this every year. Um, and there's more coordination now than there used to be between for sections to go in and talk with a legislator who wants to do something and say, changing condominium law. We'll get the folks in condominium practice to talk with the legislature so they both sides understand what's trying to be done so the legislator thinks he's got a problem or she's got this problem she's solving and she's not doing that because of the way it's written. And that's partly a result of, right, 
The Legislative Council's office is, uh, not surprisingly, not that big in Utah. Mm-hmm. And those guys work very hard. And they are, you know, they got to be general practitioners in a sense. And so we're not stepping on their toes. The idea is here to be a helpful resource to the, to the legislators in the Legislative Council's office. Do you feel like you get uh, a better or worse response from the legislators who are also attorneys? Because I could see it going uh, either way. I mean, on the one side, I could see him saying, oh, yes, of course the bar has a position, but I'm a lawyer, I understand this. Or I could say, see him saying, you know, hey, uh, it, the bar is my, those are my guys, let's, let's work together on this. I mean, does it depend on the legislator or is it, you know, kind of across the board one way or the other? I can say that we have too few lawyers in the legislature. Okay. Yeah. And I've heard that from uh, two or three people that I've talked to, that apparently uh, right now we have fewer lawyers in the legislature than than uh, than we've had in a long time. In fact, the lobbyists were mentioning that. It's been like 20 or 30 years. It's a very long time. And... Um, Oh, they, they did mention we're better than Kansas because apparently... Kansas has zero. Yeah, they have zero. It's and also they have a state that's near bankruptcy, that is in bankruptcy. Yeah. Uh, and, well, let's not go to the politics of it, but yeah. <laughs> let, having a larger number of lawyers involved in the legislature is generally a very good thing because lawyers have more experience and better understanding of what legislation has to do and look like to succeed. And they have a better sense, generally speaking, of the limitations of what you can do with legal processes and, and statutes. It's not that they're smarter. It's just that, you know, look, this is what you do all day for 20 or 30 years, you know. You have a different starting place. You have a different starting place. You have a different sensitivity to what the, how legislation works in the world for people who are trying to deal with it. So is that one of the, I mean, obviously one of the ways that lawyers who are interested in what's going on in the legislature can can get involved is by coming to these committee meetings that we've talked about. But right. would, I mean, would you encourage more lawyers to run for the legislature? Uh, I would. I, I mean, think it, it sounds like a miserable process to me, and something like I I don't know that I'd ever get into. But yeah, some people have that sickness. Some um, people do. I, I would. All right. That's not something for me, partly because my politics would get nowhere in that yeah. body, but. You know, I had partners. Scott McCoy was a partner of mine, um, and he was in the legislature. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenge to be a lawyer and have a practice and be in the legislature. The time demands are pretty large. But it's also very rewarding. You know, if you're able to work with people and you got a willingness to do that and you find ways to talk to them, to communicate effectively with them, there's a lot of very good things you can do. And uh, I know that among at least you know, lawyers in Salt Lake City, you know, the legislature has a reputation of being fairly... Uh, radical about some areas but the fact of the matter is most of the time you look at most of the legislation these are people working hard to do practical things to help the entire state and they're not engaged in you know political rampages of one sort or another well it happens from time to time but really right when there's like there are laws to change condominium assessments okay i'm not sure what your politics might be but there are ways to do that that don't destroy condominiums right A few years ago, there was a proposed change which would have moved where lean had the order of liens on condos. Legislature was trying to solve a particular problem for condominium associations. 
used language which would have ended the sale of condos in the state because they would have subordinated mortgage loans to condo fees. Okay, this was just proposed. And so nobody, we ever, saw it. nobody ever lend on it. Right. Because, we yeah. saw this. We went and talked to the legislator and said, and he said, oh, okay. And we figured out, you know, and there was work about how to change what he was, accomplish what he was trying to do, which you could figure out how to do as a lawyer that didn't have to do with your politics. Mm-hmm. You know, and I use examples at early meetings to explain that to people about, you know, I've worked with this legislator whose views I don't share on any issue, but she had a particular issue she needed legal research on. I could do that for her. I did it. It solved the problem for her. The point isn't that you're doing politics there. You're being a technician just as you are as a lawyer. Sure. And trying to help get better body of law in the state, which helps your clients. Well, and, and you know, we, we don't know, as, as private lawyers, we don't always, you know, pick our clients based on, you know, people that we agree with or people that we like or even people that we'd like to spend time with outside of work. It's, That's right. It's, you know who comes in the office and, and meets the needs. Um, so during the legislative session, I mean, are you pretty busy? Are you reading bills every day? Are you up at the meetings? Or are you more of a getting ready for these meetings with the lawyers and the lobbyists and coordinating with the Bar Commission? Me personally? Yeah. Um, I don't go up to the legislature. Uh, I don't think I would be a good lobbyist. I don't think I'd be very good at that. Uh, and my practice has never really been... Uh, amenable to that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I run the committee meetings, uh, though that's transitioning now. I read all or nearly all the bills and make suggestions about things that come before the committee. I handle, right now, I handle uh, reporting between the Bar Commission and the committee and outreach to try and get sections to send their people and that sort of stuff. And I talked in, in the off, call it the off season. You know, the lobbyists send out to us, which me and the other co-chairs, legis- you know, Senator Wheeler, Senator Hilliard is looking for somebody to help them solve, work on this problem. Can you get uh, somebody in, the law, in that section to help? And so then we reach out to section members or lawyers we know and say, come and do this. It's pro bono work. It's for the good of the state. Uh, and you don't have to be a, a fan. You don't have to be a resident in their district. Just, you don't yeah. even have to know who this person is. Yeah, just this is the question we need to right. into the and answer. we try and keep it that way. Okay. You know, and the overall goal over the last ten years has been to ameliorate the friction between the legislature and the bar. And the bar. Okay. I mean, we're not going to get rid of it. There are folks in the legislature who think lawyers are bad and evil, and there's a similar view among some lawyers about the legislature. And yeah, I, I tend to be. I mean, and after that, we get into a bit of a digression uh, that doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the episode, so I figured I'd cut it off there. wanted to thank John Bogart for coming on the show and explaining the Governmental Affairs Committee and how they help the bar uh, make decisions about what legislation to get involved in and how to participate in the legislative process. And definitely, we would encourage any attorneys uh, who would like to know more to attend those meetings. Thank you very much for listening. Again, you've been listening to the Trial Lawyer Podcast. Um, You can catch more of this type of information on the website at www.saltlaketrialattorney.com. That's www.saltlaketrialattorney.com. And thank you very much for listening.